thanks, Harold. <laughs> I need to uh, apologise too. Like uh, Bob said last week, um, that he was uh, PowerPoint illiterate. Well, I must confess to being that way too. But I'm working on it. It's next on the list at uh, TAFE, so. <laughs> if ever I get another gong, I might have PowerPointers too, as well. The story of Joseph is familiar to many of us. And this, in a way, presents us with a problem right at the start. Because the story is familiar, we can't help reading it or thinking about Joseph without anticipating the happy ending that comes in the later chapters of Genesis. On the face of things, Joseph is unlike his predecessors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Joseph seems to have no faults or engage in any deception. In fact, it seems that Joseph's a regular good bloke who tries to do good stuff, which lands him in trouble. But somehow God gets him through and blesses him for his faithfulness. So basically that's the end of the story. You know, let's sing a song, <laughs> pack up, go home early. <laughs> At this point, there was supposed to be some music, but something happened. Uh, anyway, really, I'm only kidding, folks. Seriously, though our familiarity with a story when we read it with the ending in mind, often prevents us from really seeing what's there. So let's start again. Let's remember that we can't discern God's purposes through his dealings with Joseph and his family without actually following the story. Genesis contains a great deal of material about Joseph. In fact, more than any other character in the Old Testament. Chapters 37 and 39 through to 50 give us an overview of his life. Joseph is also mentioned in parts of Psalm 105 and of course Hebrews 11.22 and a few other places. My suggestion is that you uh, read through those chapters in one go when you get home today. And so much material about Joseph suggests that he must have been a favourite character and hero for many generations. Maybe his popularity hinged on people's ability to identify him. His life often mirrored theirs and ours. Trials, family problems, injustice, imprisonment, but also providence, wisdom and hope. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 37. I'm just going to read verses 1 
to 4. So Genesis chapter 37. This is the story of Jacob. The story continues with Joseph, 17 years old at the time, helping out his brothers in herding the flocks. These were his half-brothers, actually, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhar and Zilpah. And Joseph brought his father bad reports on them. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the child of his old age. And he made him an elaborately embroidered coat. When his brothers realised that their father loved him more than them, they became jealous of him. They wouldn't even speak to him. Now here we see Jacob, who himself had known the pain of not being his father's favourite child until he and his mum got together and uh, manipulated things. So here we see Jacob favouring one of his own children and setting in motion again that cycle of parental favouritism and sibling rivalry that he had known growing up. Jacob gave Joseph a fancy overcoat, a special garment. Now the speciality of that coat is not so much that it was multicoloured or that said they're richly embroidered, but rather that it had long sleeves and it was ankle length. And Joseph's brothers, uh, wearing the short tunics of uh, hard-working shepherds see here their father's clear declaration. Joseph is not required to sweat in the fields like the rest of my sons. And to add insult to injury, if you follow the story a little bit farther, further, Joseph spied and dobbed on his brothers and then arrogantly told them about dreams he had had that in essence announced how much greater than them he was. So Joseph acted like a spoiled, naive teenage brat to fuel the flames of his brother's jealousy. But then in a way, can we really blame them for being jealous? And Jacob's love for Joseph seems to have blinded him to the extent of his other son's jealousy of their brother. While Joseph continued to be naive and trusting. Why else would Jacob send Joseph out to visit his brothers where they were tending the flocks and to check out their well-being? And that he asked Joseph to bring back a report once again indicates how much out of touch Jacob is and how much faith he has in this favourite son. Joseph's readiness to go and his reply are significant. In response to Jacob's command to go, Joseph replies in effect, here I am. 
which mirrors that response that Abraham gave to God when God instructed him to leave where he was and go to Canaan. And the language in a way suggests that a dramatic turn of events is about to happen. By the time Joseph uh, gets to where his brothers are, their jealousy has turned into a deep hatred. You know, they've been out there muttering amongst themselves and uh, some some of them have no doubt stirred the others up. When they see Joseph approaching, they decide to kill him. The crucial moment, the timely intervention of those brothers who don't want to hurt their father or have Joseph's blood on their hands saves his life. So Joseph is saved, though his history of insensitivity to issues of power and status have almost resulted in his death. So thwarted in that action... His brothers instead sell this spoiled child into slavery to Ishmaelite traders on their way to the lucrative markets of Egypt. When Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites, he is thrust into hard physical work, something we're told that he knew little about for his father had let the other sons do the hard work Joseph, in a way, had been born with a silver spoon in his mouth. But his new life certainly made up for that deficiency. He was now a slave. And the long sleeve coat had told Joseph who he was, but an iron collar and the fetters around his feet now told him something very different. Not only did they prevent him from running away, They also helped turn him into a slave. The Ishmaelites in turn sold him to Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And things in a way began to look up for Joseph. The scripture says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph became Potiphar's personal aid, in charge of everything that Potiphar owned. Pretty soon, though, Joseph faced a new kind of trial, sexual temptation. We're told that Potiphar's wife certainly wasn't the virtuous woman that's described in Proverbs 31.10. She made attempts to seduce Joseph, no doubt because As it says, he was well-built and handsome. But the attempts failed. Joseph maintained his morality and rejected her. But we also know, don't we, that hell has no fury like a woman scorned. Potiphar's wife claimed that Joseph had made improper advances towards her just to prove that there's nothing new under the sun and Joseph ended up in prison and that stay in prison was probably the lowest point in his life. God had promised earlier to bless him and exalt him. Where was the promise of that now? 
Joseph had some company in prison, the king's cupbearer and the king's baker. One morning each of them revealed a dream from the night before. Joseph interpreted the dreams and his interpretations were spot on. The cupbearer was released in three days and the baker was hung. I don't know whether I'd want Joseph to interpret a dream for me. Joseph had made a a request to the cupbearer just before that guy was restored to his old position and that was that he tell Pharaoh about Joseph. Now that attempt to manipulate God didn't work because the first thing the cupbearer did was forget all about Joseph. And humanly speaking, there was absolutely no hope of Joseph getting out of prison. However, God had other ideas and he had a way of exalting Joseph, but there was at this stage no way of predicting how it would come about. It was a combination of several things, perfect timing, Pharaoh in trouble and Joseph's old gift of interpreting dreams. Pharaoh had a dream, Joseph alone had the interpretation. So the cupbearer came in handy after all. But he would have remembered Joseph even if Joseph hadn't asked to be remembered. If our gift is authentic, it will be recognised at the right time with or without our trying to ensure that it's used. When Pharaoh's own interpreters failed to interpret the dream, the cupbearer remembered Joseph. And it wasn't Joseph's anxiety that brought that about, but the impending death of thousands of people. God was preparing Joseph for such a time as this And there was no rushing this moment. Joseph's interpretation not only pleased Pharaoh, but because it ensured Egypt's wealth and glory for many years to come, Joseph was made governor of Egypt as a reward for his interpretation and his wisdom. The Pharaoh's dream showed that there would be seven years of plenty during which Egypt should store food, followed by seven years of famine when other nations would come to Egypt to buy food. Joseph, therefore, was made second only to Pharaoh himself in Egypt. So Joseph had come a long way from Canaan, come a a long way from that well that his brothers threw him into before they sold him into slavery, come a long way from that cold, dingy prison. The competent 30-year-old administrator over all Egypt is a bit hard to recognise as that arrogant, spoiled 17-year-old teenager that we met at first. But there's more. Joseph still has a long way to go. And after the seven years of plenty, as he had predicted, The famine came, 
The entire world was affected by it, including Canaan. And after a while, Jacob, after hearing that there was food in Egypt, sent 10 of his sons, all except Benjamin, who had replaced Joseph as his father's favourite. So Jacob was one of those slow-learning guys. But he sent 10 of his sons down to Egypt to buy grain. And any foreigner who came into Egypt had to go to the governor first. So the 10 fronted up to Joseph. Joseph recognised them, but they didn't recognise him because he didn't have the multicoloured coat on anymore. Uh, And in the meantime, we're talking about 20 years here, he'd learned Egyptian and he spoke to them through an interpreter. You'll notice if you read it that Joseph wasn't entirely devoid of a feeling for revenge because he gave his brothers a rough time, (laughs) made them sweat for a while. But eventually he revealed to his brothers or he revealed himself to his brothers with the words, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? So this Egyptian official, second in power only to Pharaoh, said he was Joseph. The brothers were so shocked that they couldn't speak. Suddenly the sins of the past rose up to haunt them. Their jealousy, their dastardly scheme to get rid of Joseph, their deceitful lie that he'd been killed by a wild beast which caused their father's heart to break. So I guess their first thoughts, what's going to happen to us now? And typically, they weren't thinking about Joseph or about their father, but their own skins. Little wonder they couldn't believe what they were hearing or seeing. But something wonderful is about to happen to these scheming brothers. They are to be reconciled to Joseph and to God, encountering as never before God's boundless mercy. To his brother's amazement, Joseph urges them to come closer as he comforts them. They might have expected revenge, but Joseph relieves their fears. Genesis 45 says this, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt, but don't feel badly. Don't blame yourselves for selling me. God was behind it. God sent me here to save lives. God sent me on ahead of you to pave the way, to make sure there was a remnant in the land, to save your lives in an amazing act of deliverance. And that affirmation surely taxed their readiness to believe as it taxes ours. But this is the central theme in the story. And the result of this teary reconciliation was that the 11 brothers and their wives brought old Jacob down to Egypt to live for that famine was destined to last a while longer. The children of Israel were made elite visitors in Egypt. 
They were given some of the best land to graze their flocks in and they prospered. Joseph was personally vindicated, a vindication that included the fulfilment of his dream. But personal vindication wasn't Joseph's concern. When Jacob died a bit later on, the brothers were again terrified. They were certain that Joseph would at last get even, get even for those wicked crimes that they'd committed against him. They asked for Joseph's forgiveness. They threw themselves on the ground in front of him, which surely, folks, is about as literal a fulfilment of Joseph's first dream that we could get. But a new Joseph emerges. Genesis 50 tells us this, and these are Joseph's words, don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see you planned evil against me? But God used those same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now, life for many people. (coughs) Easy now, you have nothing to fear. I'll take care of you and your children. So the vindication that Joseph had once craved, he now avoided. Vindication or vengeance meant absolutely nothing to him now. Joseph had come a long way for sure, but he'd come a greater distance than from the prison or from the land of Canaan. He had moved from flesh to spirit. Joseph no longer lived at the level of natural human responses. His personal vindication was swallowed up by a greater concern for the kingdom of God. He lost sight of vengeance and gained the victory that matters. The new Joseph no longer cared for what he thought was so crucial, his personal feelings. Now if we go back a little way, can you imagine the emotional and spiritual pain that Joseph must have endured as a as that teenager thrown into the pit. Now, wouldn't you be deeply hurt, angry, enraged if you had been betrayed by your own family? What would your emotions be when you were lifted out of the well, bound like a criminal and sold for 20 pieces of silver? How would you feel? What would you say to God? For what would you pray and how would you react when there was no deliverance from your wrongful imprisonment for many years? Would you be tempted to curse and hate your brothers? For that matter, maybe, would you be tempted to curse and hate God? So had Joseph followed his natural feelings, he would have wanted to have got to get even. Joseph had been a dreamer, now he was a prophet. He'd been a braggart, now he was self-effacing. He'd been the object of envy for which there was a ready human explanation. 
Now he showed a concern and spirit that defied explanation on a human level. He'd become a true man of God. Now God had been with Joseph all along and in that sense he'd always been a man of God. But God had been preparing Joseph for far more than Joseph could ever have imagined or projected. When he was in the prison, he simply wanted out. But God had much more in mind for him than mere release from prison. Little did Joseph know what he was being prepared for. But in the end, his chief concern was for the future of the kingdom of God and his identification with it. His identification even with those who had betrayed him. Now a vision of the greater glory of God caused his personal feelings to disappear. But that didn't happen as as a result of any snap decision on Joseph's part. The process that led to this new Joseph extends far beyond that family reunion. It goes right back to the time when Joseph's brothers threw him into the well. Perhaps Joseph remembered his brothers Reuben sparing his life and the plan intended by Reuben to result in his rescue rather than his slavery. Perhaps the dreams and the impressions combined to let Joseph know that God intends to use his life as a means of grace rather than as an agent of destruction. And so by the time Joseph's brothers stand before him and plead for assistance, Joseph is already predisposed to extend mercy and help. He can move beyond the past and do the right thing in the present. To his brother's credit, they too display signs of improvement. Judah's intercession for the younger son Benjamin moves Joseph deeply. God has led Joseph to the place where he can see past his own experience and offer life to the very ones who had conspired to take it from him. Joseph can now discern God's purpose within human decisions, even those of hatred and deceit. Joseph can see the blessings that can emerge from tragedy and acknowledge God's action in his life. He sees grace moving within human acts of destruction and darkness. And with that new awareness, Joseph can act as God acts with compassion reconciliation and mercy. And the story of Joseph goes beyond immediate family to illustrate God's deep concern for the entire human family. God worked through Joseph to save the covenant people of Israel and the world from starvation. God uses individuals like Joseph and you and me to make a difference for the whole family of God. The God of Joseph is a God who preserves life, reconciles the estranged, forgives the sinner and creates community. 
This God chooses to work for good for all people within the limits of human freedom and within our capacity for making choices that yield brokenness and suffering. This God can turn a curse into blessing and bring life out of death. Like Joseph, God works in unexpected ways. Instead of disowning us, God claims us as his family. Instead of retaliating, God provides for our needs. Instead of turning away and giving up on us, God continues to reveal himself to us in mercy with the purpose of reconciling all people to himself and to one another. Joseph's dismayed and speechless brothers can speak to him only after receiving mercy. Only after weeping and kissing does their reconciliation with Joseph become spoken. A powerful, emotional reconciliation precedes any attempt at words. So God's work of reconciliation goes beyond human language and results in restored communication among formerly estranged family members. The story of Joseph bears powerful testimony to the transforming grace of God in our lives. By God's grace, we can become people who extend mercy and forgiveness to those who desperately need it, perhaps even the people closest to us. Estranged, separated, at odds, divided. These are all words that we can use to describe broken relationships and damaged emotions. No matter what the reasons, we experience a feeling of sadness when we hear words like these. We feel that it shouldn't be this way. The real story of Joseph is found in the healing of that long-standing estrangement between he and his family. Sometimes we feel the pain of undeserved suffering caused by words or actions, a one-time experience or something sustained over many years. We often feel, why should we attempt reconciliation? especially when no such effort is for coming from those that have wronged us. And yet, our hearts are sad. We continue to live with a heart that longs for reunion. And then one day, like Joseph, we realise that we have an opportunity to make things different. Sometimes Joseph's story is our story. If anything is going to change, we must initiate the change. And in such moments, an amazing grace is given, grace to let our broken heart and not our wounded spirit speak. Setting aside our desire for justice and setting aside our pain, we're enabled to take the first step the long for 
reunion occurs because we refuse to seek revenge and let God lead us to be a healer. Perhaps God has been working through our sufferings to prepare us for this moment. Even though we've dreamed and even though we weren't aware until this moment that God's been preparing us, we can at least let his amazing grace work through us. We may discover at last that we can trust God not to prevent the pain of our undeserved suffering but that God can redeem even our pain. We discover like Joseph that God is indeed a God of great faithfulness for whom nothing is impossible. So where do you fit into Joseph's story? How many colours does your coat have? Are you a victim of parental favouritism? Have your actions caused jealousy at home, at work, at school? Have you ever acted arrogantly? Are you in a hole you can't climb out of? This might be a financial hole, might be an emotional hole, it might be a relationship hole, it might be you can fill in the blanks. Have you been involved in sexual impropriety? You've been sexually harassed? Have you been wrongfully accused? Are you estranged from your family? A brother or sister, parents, son or a daughter? Are you prepared to let God be God and allow him to bring healing and blessing? Are you prepared to trust this God of amazing grace and great faithfulness. If you are, remember the other thing that Joseph learned. Don't get in God's way. Amen. Let's pray. Lord our God your love for us is everlasting your faithfulness to us know no bounds your grace to us comes freely without merit you reach out to us and make us the people that you want us to be. Lord, often we do things that hurt others, 
sometimes we get hurt by other people. So, Lord, this morning, if any of us are in that situation where we need to be forgiven or to extend forgiveness, please extend your amazing grace to us and enable us to be your children to be Christ-like to those around us and to give you honour and glory in the way we live our lives. Lord, thank you for sending your son the one who died for us and enables your grace and faithfulness to come to us. We thank you in his glorious name. Amen.